Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition, or Blu-ray, and The Angel Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Yeah, early on in the show, we used to we used to struggle to get to an hour. Right. Now we can do an hour eat with easy. Yeah, I like. If anything, I try and like. I worry that I'm more worried about us going too long than not long enough. Oh, see, I'm nowadays. never. I'm not. Everyone says that. I maybe I don't know. I'm, I don't stress about it. It's just that if anything, like, um, I never worry about us not going long enough. I have so many friends who are like, oh, I try to keep my show at about 45 minutes. I was like, why? It's a podcast. You can start and stop it whenever that, you want. That's the criticism that, like, I never understood that, well, you should cut it into two episodes then. It's like, no. Or you could hit pause. Like, yeah. that's, <laughs> you really need that conclusion before you. I, I don't know. It no, it's like, sense to me. Someone said, someone said that about uh, like Cannibal Holocaust episodes. Like, oh, this should be two episodes. Why? Yeah, it, or like like when people were complaining that the the episode lengths for um, the last season of Stranger Things was like hour and a half, two hour episodes, and I was like, so you just want more up? Ep- like if you cut it up, you're watching the same amount of content. Just fucking fuck pause is? it, pause it after a scene. Yep. That's what we do. It's like if if we can't finish, it's like okay, let's finish the scene, so that way, if anything, we and know where to pick up from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. No one's complaining about the length of fucking Last of Us. Their episodes are long. Right? God, I love that show. Every, every goddamn episode is so and good. It's, it happens. It just happened to be, be where I'm actually playing the the second game right now as we're watching okay. the show. So Amanda will sit and... Because I don't know if you ever played the game, but it's extremely cinematic in itself. Um, and Amanda will just sit there and like get really engrossed into me playing. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. I did... Um, no, I'm not going to remember. I watched three things back to back, and there was like a character connection between each one. I can't remember what the third connection was, but um, the two between The Last of Us and I was catching up on The Legends of Vox Machina, which Legends of Vox Machina is the critical role animated mm. show starring one of the stars of that is Ashley Johnson, who does the original oh, voice yeah. acting, emotion act, capture acting for Which, The Last of Us. I think she's us. supposed to pop up in an episode. She, I think so. They actually cast a lot of the voice actors from the game in the show, just in different roles, yeah. obviously. <laughs> One of Reina's really funny observations was uh, Pedro always gets cast as like the reluctant dad taking, type character taking care of mm. a child and transporting it somewhere. <laughs> 
It's funny. I was, I was when I was, we were watching the most recent episode, and I was like, Pedro Pascal has got some strong Walter Matthau vibes, and I think it's because he's got those, these fucking jowls that are forming. <laughs> you know who he was really, really reminding me of was um, uh, fuck, I can't think of his name from Firefly. Mal's character from Firefly. Um, I don't know the characters that. <laughs> I don't think I ever actually watched the show. Okay. I'm dead. Oh, I gotta... my, my levels might have been a little little weak in the last one. Mm. Um, uh, that might have to be uh, peaked up a little bit. Sorry. Nathan Fillion. Oh, Fillion. I can definitely see that. He's just like a he's like a more grizzled version of Nathan Fillion. Yeah, and they also both have that kind of like Texas accent mm-hmm. um, in those two respective shows. That um... whenever I think of Pedro Pascal, I think of this meme I saw of him of uh it was a picture it was like a screenshot from twitter and someone's like look i ran i ran into pedro pascal and at a movie theater and he's just like he kind of has this weird face and he has he's like this thumbs up or whatever and he replied back to it he is like i just got really fucked up on mushrooms before going to see incredibles 2 and you made my day <laughs> yeah pedro <laughs> all right now we can get onto the topic at hand we'll okay. start this episode I've been taking sips of water for the working man. I don't need to do it again. Yep, I've switched over to water now. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is my own personal Hercule Poirot... Nick Richards. <laughs> on this episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we are crossing something that I know it's on my Shameless. Is it on yours? It is. Yeah. We are crossing something off that is on both of our Shamelists. We are talking about uh, Sydney Lumet's, or is it Lumet? I think it's Lumet. <laughs> I'm not too sure. Uh, Sydney. I'm going to say Lumet. Because it better. sounds more French. <laughs> yeah, Sydney Lumet. Actually, no, I think it's Lumet. Sydney Lumet. Sydney Lumet's <laughs> 74, 1974 mystery film, Murder on the Orient Express. As I said in our first episode, normally I write a little preamble that talks about the movie, its historical context and all that. I was lazy and did not do that. <laughs> so instead, our good friends over at Fandango are going to supply me with a synopsis. Thank you, Fandango. Having concluded a case, Detective Hercule Poirot, played by Albert Finney, which he's unrecognizable. Right? I I was IMDb'ing during the film, and I had the same, like, holy fuck, that's Big Fish! Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Hercule Poirot, that's hard to say, settles into what he expects will be a relaxing journey home aboard the Orient Express. But when an unpopular billionaire is murdered en route... Poirot takes up the case, and everyone on board the famous train is a suspect. Using an avalanche blocking the tracks to his advantage, Poirot gradually realizes that many of the passengers have revenge as a motive, and he begins to hone in on the culprit. So, uh, Murder on the Orient Express is was directed by Sidney Lumet, as I had said, with a screen by, screenplay by Paul Dean. It is based on the story, the the book Murder on the Orient Express by Agatha Christie. Uh, the film was shot by Jeffrey Unsworth with music by Richard Rodney Bennett. From 1974, this is Murder on the Orient Express. Trailer with lots of murder. Trailer. Train. Who train. Train. Done train, it? Train. Trailer. This is no ordinary train. This is the legendary Orient Express, witness to many strange adventures and foreign intrigues. From Istanbul to Calais, this is no ordinary passenger. Monsieur Poirot is a detective. This is the world's most celebrated crime fighter. I take a professional interest in crime. 
Agatha Christie's brilliant Belgian detective. Oh, Belgians? I always thought you were French. Albert Finney is Detective Hercule Poirot. This is no ordinary mystery. Don't touch nothing. This is Agatha Christie's most perfect crime. Murder on the Orient Express. Starring the greatest cast of suspicious characters ever involved in murder. The murderer is with us now. You can identify the murderer? Lauren Bacall. I mean nothing of the kind. I mean there was a man in my compartment last night. Monsieur. Martin Balsam. She did it. Don't stand, not kill. Ingrid Bergman. Jacqueline Bisset. He makes it sound like a poison. Jean-Pierre Cassel. Monsieur Hercule Poirot. Sean Connery. How did you know? Beddoes. John Gielgud. Mr. Beddoes. He did it. The butler did it. Wendy Hiller. You never smile, Madame de Francis. My doctor has advised against it. Anthony Perkins. It seems like I'm kind of incriminating myself. Vanessa Redgrave. Not now. Not now. When it's all over, when it's behind us. Rachel Roberts. And I... Richard Widmark. Let me show you this. Michael York. He did it. The Who's Who in the Who Done It. Ladies and gentlemen, we now come to my own reconstruction of the night of the murder. Murder on the Orient Express. I would love to see a version of Thomas the Tank Engine that's also Murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> I think that could be fun. <laughs> trying to, uh, I haven't, my kids never really watched a ton of it. I'm trying to think of uh, the a reference that you could swap out Orient Express for and, and bring it into the Thomas the Tank Engine universe, but uh, I don't know well enough. You ever watch Thomas the Tank Engine? Here we go. Uh, you watch something nowadays, what is it, huh? Nothingness, twists, violence, drama, no message. What's the point, huh? What are we supposed to learn? Everything I learned about people, I learned from Thomas. Oh, you had to bring your sticker book, did I you? I always bring my stickers with me, you know that. Take Tangerine here. He's a Gordon, this blue one. And Gordon is the strongest, the most important, but he doesn't always listen to others. What's that now? I mean, some people are Edwards, wise, kind. Some are Henry's, hardworking, strong. Some people are diesels. Fuck me! That was the trouble. You, though. You know, you seem like a pussy. Young, sweet. No order. <laughs> <laughs> you finished, both of you. Yeah. All right, so uh, Murder, on the Express, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, as I said, is a adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel. Um, I believe this was. There's only been two uh, adaptations of this. I think there might have been a couple television adaptations, but there's only been two movie adaptations. There was this one by Sidney Lumet, and then the one from 2017, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Which I actually liked quite a bit, and I had seen before, I. before I saw this. Um, first, the biggest thing I will say before I ask you what you thought about it: the biggest thing that I found just mind blowing about this movie was that this movie was made in 1974, when I thought it was significantly older. <laughs> yeah, like 50s or 60s. Yeah, even watching, it, I'm like, this is 74, really. <laughs> so, Nick, this is the first time for both of us, but. I always like to ask you, what did you think of Murder on the Orient Express? Uh, um, it was okay. I've, I've so I've been watching a lot of mystery murder whodunits lately, including um, Death on the Nile, the 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 new, new one, the new one. I haven't seen it yet, but I want to. Um, the the Two Knives Out films. And then I actually did a little acting recently where I um, played um, Anthony Marston in another Agatha Christie story. Was it Ten Little Indians? Uh, yeah, that mm -hmm. was renamed, and then there were none. 
Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. of racism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, that. Um, so I've I've had a lot of these little like connections, and I think the Murder on the Orient Express story, both this one and the 2017 film, I think personally I had a hard time following. Both you um, had a hard time following both of them, or just this? Yes, one? both of them. Um. Okay. I I think Albert Finney's performance as Poirot is over the top and ridiculous. And I'm not saying that as a criticism at all. I just really wasn't expecting it. Like I've never quite seen a crotchety dandy before. Like my <laughs> character. Oh, that should be my new username online, the crotchety dandy. <laughs> crotchety mm. dandy. Oh, that's like it's, a good pro wrestling name. The crotchety dandy Nick Richards. <laughs> uh, I'm the I'm the pacifist pugilist. Oh yeah, I'll be the crotchety dandy. <laughs> there you go. Um, you, I, I think one of the things that I actually really enjoyed the most from both uh, this film and um, having acted in in and then there were none were understanding the references in things like death on the nile and glass onion and these these mm-hmm. films that are clearly pulling from that those previous generations of classic uh whodunits uh to, even colombo like i can see peter falk channeling albert finney's poirot with some of the hand motions and the awkward pauses and things like mm-hmm. I think he pulled from this Poirot. And so watching those, that kind of source material and going, Oh, that the way that that car drove past the other car and almost ran it off the road. That's the motorcycle scene in, uh, in glass onion, mm-hmm. you know, or how, uh, also in glass onion when, um, uh, names escaping me. Uh, the one from Guardians of the Galaxy. Dave Batista. When Dave Batista's character died, I'm like, oh, that's clearly the Anthony Marston character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a lot out of that. Watching this Murder on the Orient Express, I think I adjusted my expectations where I hadn't when I first saw the 2017 one. And so me not being able to follow the narrative there, I think bothered me more. Um, and I'm, I'm putting the blame on myself, not mm-hmm. on the film. Um, so when I watched this one, I kind of went, you know what? I don't need to follow it. I don't need to try and figure out who done it along with it. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the kookiness and I think I enjoyed the film more watching it from that perspective. Okay. So for me, so I when I saw the 2017 Murder on the Orient Express, and I actually really liked it. Um, so I kind of had an idea of what I was getting into with this one. However, at the same time, I'm not familiar very, very much with the story, so I didn't know how much of what had happened in... 2017 i didn't know how faithful an adaptation that was sure um especially because spoiler for if you haven't seen murder on orient express when i saw the 2017 one i thought the idea that they all did it (laughs) right was just like that seems uh, my mind is like that feels like a revisionist choice not realizing (laughs) that was actually the ending so it's like as i was watching the original one i was like that's how i remember this ending Let's see if this one ends the same way. <laughs> um, I just really struggled to get into this one. And it's a shame because I really like Murder Mysteries. I really like... And star-studded cast. Oh my god, yes. Um, I just found myself not caring. Because one thing... I, and it's gonna it's hard not to compare the two versions to get to right. each other. But there's really no way around it. Um Ultimately, this was a, even though it's on a train, it's a drawing room mystery where it's a lot of Poirot sitting down in a comfy chair. Interviewing. Interviewing, asking questions, having a very thick accent. Um, <laughs> and just a lot of talking back and forth, which is not always a problem. But 
when it's there was a specifically like the the there was like a series of interrogations near the middle of the film where it was just one after another and there was no change in blocking no change in framing no change in location i stopped giving a fuck because at least in the new one they would use different fucking carts at least like different locations trying to change things up a little bit and i just the accents were all really over the top and (laughs) and kind of grating because like poirot from what i understand is kind of a goofy character right yep but like the way that albert finney plays him is just it it, it, he manages to be an over-the-top dandy as you said who's also wholly uninteresting pardon me sir i wonder if you could oblige me with a light certainly thank you my name is ratchet do I have the pleasure of speaking to Mr. Hercule Poirot? The pleasure, possibly, Mr. Ratchet. The intention, certainly. You asked me for a light. I offered you one, and you have not used it. One can't deduce that without acute mental exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Sit down, sir. Uh, Sit for down. a moment. Just for a moment. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, r- like, it, it feels like the really unpopular person who, like, puts everybody off but then is in the okay this is where my time to shine is and i don't think that is poirot i think that is albert finney's Mm -hmm. light interpretation of the character that i i enjoyed is it brana's yeah uh performance much more Um, yeah and and i i like albert finney that's not a mm -hmm. cut on his acting i just think the choice is were not for me. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I wasn't entertained by him several yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. There, the there, I definitely had some moments where I, I found myself um, amused by him. There was actually a, um, uh, a, a jur- uh, an essay by uh, someone named Nathan Booth. He writes for a website called The Other Journal. And, um, He wrote this little bit that kind of stuck out to me. He said, The detective story offers a number of problems for film adaptation. First, it is essentially a talky genre. Page after page can be spent interviewing suspects, asking where they were, and what they did on the night of the murder. The climax, too, is talk. The detective offers a reconstruction of the murder, and, most importantly, of the way in which he or she discovered the killer. While this format works very well for a 45-minute episode of television, there is nothing very cinematic there. What's more, the golden age of detective of detection put in a place uh, a number of rules that seem bound to keep the form from leaving print. As S.S. Van Dyne insisted, the characters are to be simply ciphers, cogs in a machine for efficient plot delivery. They offer the actor, and so the audience, very little to grasp. Any audience identification is located in the detective and his companions, an identification most often built up over repeated formulaic encounters, much like audience identification with a character on television, and that understandably makes adapting Golden Age stories for the big screen a daunting task. So what he goes on to then say is what he thinks this movie does well is because none of the characters are interesting, and <laughs> all they're doing is sitting around talking. How do you make that movie interesting? you cast big fucking stars in it. <laughs> so well, then people want to come see them. But he Tell also... me one memorable performance from that film it's... either. Like, with that cast, They're all just nothing really stood out. And then he also says that, you know, the audience is... They identify with the detective. So the, the detectives are way of getting into this story yeah i can 100 percent. the reason colombo works is because of colombo the reason magnum pi works is because of magnum yep the knives out story is like because of Benoit daniel blanc blanc like how do you not love that guy and yeah that's and it's I, and i and because yeah. i just really was not getting into albert finney in this role i struggled with because like the reason i liked the 2017 version is I really liked Kenneth Branagh as Poirot. Yep. yep. I, because like I said, you know, you have Sean Connery in this movie. And he's boring as dirt and he barely shows up. You have Ingrid Bergman, doesn't do much. You have fucking 
Uh, Anthony Perkins, which actually is probably the best performance in this yep. in this movie. Um, Surprisingly, cast as somebody with mommy issues. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> you have Lauren Bacall. And just like, none of them are doing... You have fucking Michael York. You have Basil Expedition from the Austin awesome yep. Powers movies. <laughs> right. And he barely speaks. <laughs> it's just like, uh, I, I, I don't like saying this, but I was just bored. And it's like, and... I know this story, and I've watched the 2017 Bird and Arnold Express at least two to three times, and I found myself liking it more and more each time. This one, it's like, I'm bored. Yeah. I just, like, it's like, I, like, hell, there, there's tricks you can do in movies to lead the audience on. You know, you can use smaltzy music to make them feel schmaltzy. You can, <laughs> you know, um, have really interesting sets and everything. I wish this movie would have used some of those tricks. I wish it would have had more schmaltzy music at times. I wish it would have had more interesting... Granted, I know it's a train, but at the same time, like, it doesn't have to be... Like, I've seen a lot of movies on trains. I actually really like movies set on trains uh, for some reason. This was... Mama's being thrown from them. Yes. (laughs) I just didn't find myself liking this one very much, and... And I will I actually, say, the, the, oh. everyone's fucking accents. It's just too much for me. <laughs> um, the the train setup in the 2017 one, that setting, mm-hmm. like, I, I don't remember the film really well. I only saw it the one time in the theater. Um, but I remember enjoying the setting. Like, it felt grand. It felt extravagant mm-hmm. and exciting. And the views and the... The way that the you know train got stuck there felt dramatic, and I actually enjoyed the the sequence where they were all getting onto the train when they were leaving the station. And goddamn, did they like hit you with the, the that was a dramatic train leaving the station moment. Yeah. Too. And they really sold that. And it's it's funny like that was one actually one of my favorite bits from this movie was oh, was everyone getting on the train, and the way that. Each person's arrival at the train gave you some information about who these people are. Yep. In a way, very similar to that of Glass Onion. Since Glass talking, Onion, I thought the same where, thing. Where, you is... know, um, uh, Ryan Johnson says that he had each character... The reason he had characters wearing masks at the beginning because it gave you an idea based on how each character wore their mask of who yep. they are as a person. And I was like, oh, shit. Granted, it's not masks and everything, but, like, the way that people, their outfits and their luggage and everything gave you an idea of who each one of these people are. Yep. Um, uh, one, one performance I do say I did like, um, actually, because, like, most of, like, everyone in this movie is a good actor. Yeah, no, absolutely. It doesn't mean that what they're doing is all that interesting. Um, hold on, I'm trying to look and at... I think that goes back to the challenge that you were saying of, like, most of the characters have a lot to hide. Mm-hmm. So it's challenging to adapt a great novel, great mystery novel, into, you know, a, a really incredible film it, experience. Richard Widmark, who played Ratchet, you know, the the main the big bad guy again essentially you know old school cowboy actor um i really liked him in this um because he just kind of had that slimy vibe about him in a way that worked though i do like it's i i i find it really funny uh looking back at the 2017 version the fact that they cast johnny depp in that role who would have thought that a couple years from then everyone would want to see Johnny Depp getting stabbed? Anyways, but no, like uh, Richard Widmark, he was he, he was one of my favorite. He was just the right amount of over the top, over the top. And if anything, that's what I wanted from this movie. I wanted these people to be. I didn't. Their accents being over the top doesn't count. Like I, right. I guess I wanted some of these people to be a little bit bigger. Like I want Sean Connery to be bigger. Like right. The the princess give me fucking role. Highlander, Sean Connery. Yeah, the princess role could have been a lot, but it was just kind of like, nope, mm-hmm. nah, nope, and that's all you got out of that character was a couple of dismissive statements during the interview and yeah it was 
but then the one really over the top uh, performance was the one that we needed to connect to and it was over the top in a way that i wasn't able to connect yeah because i i just i feel like he was over the top the entire movie but when i needed him to not be over the top which is one thing that brana's version did really well once again it, it i just feel like it felt like a one note joke that never went anywhere yeah you know once again going back to columbo you have you know with a worse actor you know you because um the actor actor plays Columbo. Can't think of his name at the moment. Um, Peter Falk. Peter Falk. He is incredible. With an actor who's not on the level of Peter Falk, Columbo could have been one note joke. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's the fact that it was over the top was not the issue. Benoit Blanc is over the top. Yes, 100%. Columbo's over the top. It's an accessibility issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a character that I felt like I could use as my lens for the rest of the film like i didn't feel connected to that character enough um it 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 felt like i was being pushed away from poirot rather than pulled into poirot and it's also a movie that like said this movie was made in 1974 um it's a movie that does not feel like it's 1974 the same year that this came out you know, here are the top 10 highest grossing films of 1974. To give you an idea, The Towering Inferno, Blazing Saddles, <laughs> Young Frankenstein, good year for Mel Brooks, yeah. Earthquake, The Trial of Billy Jack, The Godfather Part 2, Airport, Airport 1975, wild disaster movies, interesting, <laughs> The Longest Yard, The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, and Murder on the Orient Express. Like or but some of the other movies that came out that year was like Chinatown. You had, as I said, The Godfather Part Two. So you had, um, you know, Francis Coppola kind of like at his fucking height. Um, you had these big ensemble um, um, disaster movies like The Towering Inferno. Yeah. Um, you know, Black Christmas came out that year. This movie just feels so old timey in a way that doesn't necessarily work for me as someone who likes old timey movies yeah it's christy and it's a period piece death so wish came out that contributing year. to some of it but and it's, it's it a, it feels like a bbc like made for the bbc kind of film yeah like i i i wish it had a little more style to it and yeah. not just people standing sitting around talking and like, and sounding the talking because I like talking movies. I just wish they could have, like, the performances would have been stronger, or they could have found a more visually interesting way to do it, or something. Uh, the other real issue that I had with the film, and when you watch films from different generations, you need to, you know, understand the lens and the times. But the the racism in this film hit me a little harder than films of of previous eras usually hit like usually i can kind of hand wave it to a certain extent and say understanding that that was a different time where different things were considered socially acceptable even if they were wrong and i can move past it but some of the 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 comments in this film just like got me in a particularly bad way that pulled me out of it I get it. That's kind of how I felt when we watched Airplane. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's just, like, it, 1974 was a time in film when things were really getting shaken up. And yet I feel like this is a movie that my grandfather would have liked. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's, I can say that about both this and the the last film, or the, the film we did in the last episode, Weekend of Bernie, is I think they're films that one of their biggest issues is that they didn't age very well. Yeah. Like, less about the quality of the film when it came out and more about it didn't have staying power. Yeah. Um, which is kind of an abstract thing and it's hard to actually quantify but there are films in both of those like it is 
We Dan at Bernie's is a very late 80s film, and you know, you were saying that you didn't feel like Murder on the Orient Express was very evocative of the 70s, but um, there are films from those eras that got better with age. Yeah. And I guess those um, films are not those. <laughs> I guess what I'll also say, too, it's like, you know, case in point that I like. I like talking movies. I like talking movies. <laughs> you know, I really loved, because um, I've watched it a couple times since we did it for this show. I really loved The Godfather. Yeah. And that was a movie that was just a bunch of people in rooms talking. Yeah. But I was like captivated, and because they found a way to add some style to what they were shooting, and once again, they allowed these performances to be, to be interesting. Yeah. You know, like I said, that article I was reading was pretty much just saying that, you know, how do you add style to a movie with no style? You add charismatic actors into these roles. And that's a <laughs> that's a great idea, but none of these actors are being their charismatic selves. Yes. And I'm actually really surprised that um Lauren Bacall won the won the Oscar for best supporting actress. Yeah. Like, she's not bad, but... Or not Lauren Bacall. Uh, Igmar Bergman. Actually, she was pretty good in this movie. Anyway, Ingrid Bergman. Uh, regardless. Regardless. Yeah, so it's not my favorite. It's... it's I don't know. Two duds in a row in the Shameless Picture right, Show. It doesn't right. happen often. Maybe we've just used up all of the good films on our Shameless. Oh, so. I doubt that there's no more good cinema left we doubt all the good ones <laughs> no i was actually surprised at i honestly if i'm being really honest and this doesn't fare well for my whole philosophy on on watching films is i was expecting to not love murder on the orient express i did and and I could I could rephrase that to say I had low expectations, and those expectations were met. Yeah. Like, Where we tend at Bernie's, I thought I would enjoy more, mm-hmm. and that one let me down. Yeah, I, I think I went in with a little bit higher expectations for um, Murder on the Orient Express just because I did like the new one, and yeah, and it's funny because I know a lot of people who really didn't like it, um, and I can't quite figure out why because. You know, if you have a problem with the story, then you have a problem with the source material. Uh, and I just feel like it was directed in a more... And that's, that's not to say I think Kenneth Branagh is a better director than Sidney Lumet. I think Sidney Lumet's made some incredible fucking films. It's nothing against Sidney Lumet. I just don't feel like this film worked. It, it feels like it didn't... So everybody can be talented and skilled and did a good job, but there is still in any kind of art like a magic when things click you know when you get the right pieces together where all of the pieces i think are good christie's good director is good cast is good like all of the pieces were good just it feels to me like these pieces did not belong together Mm -hmm. so there was like a lack of that magic that makes something transcend the the sum of its parts. You know what this movie needed? Shirtless Dave, Dave Batista. Batista. <laughs> How did we do that? How the hell is this dude still alive? He is not a dude. You're a dude. This this is a man. A handsome, muscular man. <laughs> oh, that was not planned at all. No. We nope. just both want to see Batista shirtless. God. Yep. That's our American right, God damn it. Well, I also think that it speaks to the... I have found that when you spend a lot of time with somebody that your, like, your wavelengths start to kind of sync up. I think that's me and you starting to starting to sync our, our thought processes. Oh, we've, been, we've been hanging out way too much. No We're not enough. Thing. Not enough. That is the, it's the beginning of the next level of friendship evolution. 
<laughs> There's gonna be just episode where we're we're just you know saying the same thing over and over again and just <laughs> just finishing each other's sentences. And... Like like the twin ghosts in uh, The Shining. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just we're gonna be walking around in our blue dresses, holding hands. Oh, actually sounds kind of <laughs> nice. Hello and welcome to the Shameless Picture Show. <laughs> I am your host, Marilla. <laughs> I kind of like this idea. Um, yep, love it. So yeah, like I said, I I went into um, Murder on the, on the Orient Express like hopeful, just because I I do really like mysteries. I do like, you know, it's a murder most foul. What's not to enjoy? And then like yeah. I thought it's also like. A weirdly amusing double feature with Weekend at Bird. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. Yeah, there's there is some synergy there. You know, it's one's a murder mystery and the other one's a murder where there is no mystery. <laughs> um, I think you shuffle those two films together and you've got something. Now, I, I honestly like, I just want to contact Ryan Johnson and be like, "Can you make a Poirot film?" But, you know, put Benoit Blanc in it instead and just have it be Weekend at Bernie's. Benoit Blanc, where the source, the main source material is Weekend at Bernie's. That would I, actually be really funny if Benoit I Blanc is trying to solve this murder, but no one can know that the guy is dead. So he has to make sure that everyone believes he's alive <laughs> while he's trying to solve it. Oh, my God. This works. <laughs> let's, let's get his number. We will pitch it to him right now. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's. But Benoit Blanc. And to make it even better, cast Bruce Campbell to play Bernie. <laughs> so it's just Daniel Craig carrying around Bruce Campbell. With the same mustache. He has to have the mustache. Yeah. And the yeah. glasses. Oh my god, I love it. Because like I just I, I could I just I could just see Benoit Blanc carrying around this guy being like, No one can know he did or you know, his foghorn leghorn deliveries. <laughs> I say I say I say I said no one can know he's dead. Yes. <laughs> I need to watch Glass on you again. <laughs> I've watched it three times so far. I've only watched it the one time. Every single time. Oh fuck. Oh, so good. Well, yeah, another another uh... another banger of an episode. This one's even shorter <laughs> than the last. <laughs> you got anything um, else to talk about the, the Last of Us? <laughs> you're right. Like I could talk about the Glass Onion more. <laughs> but I think what did you 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 gave this three and a half stars? You no, were I didn't. generous. No, I did. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the 2017 one. Yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> I gave this two. <laughs> Two, I gave it two and a half, so, um, it, I thought, it might have been a two and a half star movie, but at a certain point, I just couldn't focus on it anymore. Yeah. Well, if it bores you, then... Yeah, like, I thought, and because, like, I thought, it, no, in good consciousness, I can't lower it less than two stars, because it's still competently made film, like, sure. it's, it's still a well-made film, even if a, I just think it's really boring. A really well-made boring film. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Weekend at Bernie's, funny enough, is not a very well-made film, but it's at least entertaining, so it kind of evens right. itself out. That's why. That's yeah. how they both ended up with two stars. Yeah. And I think I gave them both two and a half stars, so we <laughs> we were both consistent. I was maybe in a little bit more generous mood, because our opinions synced up pretty tightly. <laughs> funny enough, two and a half stars is, is, sometimes, is like the wild card for me. Uh, because two and a half stars, I'll sometimes use as, it's okay, but then sometimes I'll be like, it wasn't bad, but it's, <laughs> right. it, it's still not a three, so like I kind of like, two and a half is kind of a catch-all sometimes. Nice. I think three is, uh, which puts me at, again, a half star above. Yeah. Well, I, I do more three-star ratings than anything else, yeah. but I get, really my, my difference is, is like if I'm like, two and a half is sometimes like... You know, that's not bad, but I kind of enjoyed it. Two stars, it's like, that's not bad, but I don't think I enjoyed it. <laughs> but there are also, like, one and a half star films yeah. that I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like there's one somewhere on my letterbox that's just like, this is a dog shit movie, but I love it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's all we got on yeah. Murder on the Orient Express. And then let's, um, let's, let's, we can give them a little bit of a tease about what's coming next time. Ooh, yeah. Because we actually have Since it planned we... out. 
Um, and this is not a, a guarantee. We do also have some desire to throw in some um, uh, surprises or, or some, not even surprises. We have some things that we want to do episodes on that are not currently on the schedule. Yep. So if we say something's coming up next, it might not actually come up next. Yeah, but, but on the schedule. Planned next episode, we will be doing Willow. And then uh, March 7th, we, we will be doing Spice World. <gasps> well, that's not released yet. That's just when we're recording. We're going to be doing <laughs> Spice World with my friend Josephine. It was her passioned uh, request that we do it. And we're like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll watch Spice World. What yeah. the hell? Spice World. And then uh, I'm not going to give the entire season. Just the next <laughs> couple episodes. And then after that, the plan is to do the Tom Hanks classic, Mazes and Monsters. Yes, I cannot wait. I think this is the episode that I'm most excited for. Not the, necessarily the, the film I think I'm going to enjoy the most, but I'm most excited to watch and discuss that I'm really movie. excited to have Josephine on because you've, you, haven't, you haven't been on an episode yet with her, but Correct. she was uh, on uh, The Witch Who Came From the Sea and Audition, which I believe you listened to both of those, and they're yes. pretty like heavy movies to dig into yeah and i don't remember much about spice world i have seen it <laughs> i'm just curious because she's got she's one of I, i'm saying this as if she's like paying me to say it or something uh she's one of my i think has uh, some of the most interesting perspectives on film we don't always yeah. agree though so i'm really excited that she's excited to talk about spice world <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> perfect so you'll have to just keep listening to find out what's coming up in the rest of the season. It's going to be a great season. Um, it is. I'm really excited. Like I said, I'm excited for an episode that we don't have planned yet, but I'm hoping too soon, of Hearts Beat Loud. Yeah. And then I still need to figure out where to put Raging Bull. Right. right. And I really want to do that one. I'm torn. Oh, well, we can discuss it right here on the show. I'm torn between which movie to get rid of. Um, House, or Hausu, that Japanese horror film. Um, that's one option. Uh, but I, I've been wanting to watch that movie, so it's like, oh, do I take it off? Uh, the other one was was the movie uh, Mickey and Nicky, uh, Elaine May's film with Peter Falk, but I hate to cut off one of the few films we have on here to buy a female filmmaker. Yep. So like, oh man, what do I do? Um, well, and I have not seen either of them, so whichever one we cut, we could do on a future s season if we don't get around to, yeah. all to fitting in the extra one, yeah. it'll just be from my shameless. Yeah, because I've just been really wanting to watch Raging Bull, and while I could watch it at any time, I just feel like that's a movie that we could potentially really dig into. That one, yeah, it feels like, um, something that we could do a really good deep dive comprehensively on that movie cut to us doing that episode being like remember that time where where de niro hit that guy that was cool that was the punchy bits yeah that was good remember that time that dan devito said that thing yeah that was cool i, not I do DeVito, have joe pesci <laughs> <laughs> danny devito's not even in that movie um uh i'm gonna amazingly bring it back to the last of us for the for the wrap-up here um and then I have a Joe Pesci story before we wrap up. Okay. Did you catch the taxi driver uh, Oh, Of course I did. It was so on the nose. It was like, I'm sure they just showed that actress, like, go watch that scene and just do that. Yeah. Confident. <laughs> but, like, you know, thankfully they didn't do the you talking to me bit. Right. But, but, no, I actually have a Joe Pesci story. I love this story. I heard it on a podcast one time. No, no, it was a tweet, like a series of tweets that this guy t wrote where this guy was saying, it's like, so when I was a young kid, he was like eight or nine, maybe ten years old at max um, when this happened, and Home Alone had just come out. <laughs> and he fucking loved it. He's like, he was walking around. He was, he was at the airport. He was going somewhere for Chris, or going somewhere on vacation. And... He saw Joe Pesci at the airport. And this 10-year-old little kid doesn't know anything about Joe Pesci other than he's in Home Alone. And he goes, uh, uh, he goes, you were in Home Alone. And he goes, yeah, kid, who's your favorite actor? And he goes, you are. He's like, damn right you are. Damn right I am. And he gives him $100 and walks away. Holy shit. <laughs> You're damn right I am. <laughs> you 
you answered correctly, you little shit. <laughs> that's just like, that's just how I hope that, that's how I want Joe Pesci to be. I just right. want Joe Pesci to be the human version of ev- like every character that he plays. <laughs> I also love the idea that like, if that is a consistent thing that he does, that he just has a bunch of $100 bills in his pocket for whenever it comes up to him. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> I imagine Joe Pesci carries cash. Yeah, right. Like, I'm, I'm sure he's got plastic, don't get me wrong, but he seems like a man who carries cash. I imagine does not have a wall, just has a money clip. Folded in half yep. with a rubber band around it. Ooh. I still, I, you know what, I imagine a money clip. Cause I imagine, Your money I clip? Going... Mm. Here you go, kid. I do. You can see it with all the rings on his fingers and flipping over the dollar bills. But you can do that with the rubber band, too. So I'm sticking with my rubber band. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Shane Listers, let us know what you think. Does Joe Pesci use a money clip or a rubber band? I think a social media poll can solve this. Yeah, I'll have to get on that. So, (laughs) Joe Pesci, uh, rubber band or a money clip. Let us know <laughs> in the comments wherever you listen to this. Go to cinepunks.com. Go to Shameless Picture Show. Find this episode. There is a comment section for every single episode. Uh, and uh, we'll have to come back to find out the answer to that at the shame time, shame station I think, I think we should get rid of station, because that's what's always tripping me up. It should okay. be shame time, shame place. Shame time, shame place. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> well, because shame time, shame station sounds... It's it's too many similar sounding words. Yeah. Shame time, shame place. Shame time, shame, shame time, place. Shame time, shame place. Okay, I think I can get there. All right. It's a tongue twister. Shame time, shame place, shameless picture show. Boom! And if you come out, and if you see us on the street, and you tell us who your favorite podcast is... We won't give you $100, but we'll give you a sticker <laughs> that I keep on me with a money clip. That I will keep on me in rubber bands the right way. <laughs> Both of which would ruin the stickers. You get what you get, kid. <laughs> Goddamn right. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.